this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Anchor. If you don't know what Anchor is and you're thinking about starting a podcast, you should probably find out what Anchor is because Anchor is a free way to host your podcasts. It also gives you creation tools like the ability to record yourself, record with other people, edit as well, and do it from your phone or your computer. You don't need to go buy fancy tools to start. You can start with Anchor. And you can hit the nice distribute button, and it's going to send it out to all the places you want it to be, like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and more. In addition to that, you can make money from your podcast with no basic listenership. In other words, if you only have 10 people because you're just starting, you can still monetize that. It's really hard to find a better place to start. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm and get started on the crazy podcast journey. My name is Chad Hall, and I've spent most of my life circling paragraphs, poking holes in stories, and taking apart things that I can't always put back together. Whether it's in books or true crime documentaries, conversations or trending topics, I find gaps that most people breeze past. So this is a place to take my questions and to try to understand them. Sometimes I can, sometimes I can't. Sometimes I miss something or I change my mind. This is my podcast. It matters, but it doesn't. Okay, I'm hoping I get through this without coughing, which makes it sound like I have a cold or I'm sick or something. Now, unfortunately, just allergies. The weather in California, in the Bay Area at least, it's been really uh, erratic. (laughs) I think that's the best word for it. One day it's 70 degrees. And then two days later, it's windy and it's raining and then back and forth and then somewhere in the middle. And I think it's just driving my sinuses crazy. So I have this continual feeling in the back of my throat, tickling, making me cough. So I'm hoping that this tea and uh, patience (laughs) will get me through this without coughing in the middle. It's been kind of a strange week. I don't feel like it's been... Seven days. Actually, you know, every time I say that, every time I say something seems like it has been brief, then I take a second look at it and it seems like it's been long. That's always a weird thing with time with me. I'm I'm sure everybody else experiences the same thing. That when time moves weird, it doesn't just move fast or just move slow. It seems to do both. It seems like, you know, when you see somebody and you say, it's, it seems like it's been forever. And then you say, but it seems like it was just yesterday. Time and perception of time is a strange, strange thing. And I think part of the reason that this week has been such a, I don't even have a word for it. Such a weird time continuum. I don't even like the way that sounds. It's just been timey-wimey to uh, steal from Doctor Who. It's been a little timey-wimey. I think it's because I've been slowly rediscovering 
things that I had for, I don't want to say I'd forgotten, but that I had failed to recognize in myself for a long time. There are certain modes of being that we can slip into. Certain, I don't want to say they're masks, but they're modes, they're phases. We go through certain motions. We we get into certain actions, and it seems like that's who we are, but we're just literally playing a part. and We don't realize that we're playing a part. We're playing some sort of role. And then something happens, some little thing, you know, uh, Proust in Remembrance of Time Past, his great epic book, Proust talked about eating the cookie, eating the madeleine, and then remembering, having memory rush back to him as he tasted the cookie that had been dipped in the tea. We can have little moments like that where it's just something small like a cookie that suddenly rushes something back. And uh, I, I don't even, I haven't even articulated any of this. I turned on the microphone, not even sure what was going to come out of my mouth. And this is what's coming out of my mouth. It's something that's been drifting in my head without words all week. I don't even know how it started, but I know one thing for sure, there's a book that I pulled off the shelf. It's a book that I had from probably 20 years ago. And it's, I don't know if anybody, I don't even know if they still make these. But there were these books that they called Blah 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 for Beginners. You know, like the Four Dummies series, Bitcoin for Dummies. It's not like that. This is, uh, it's, it's like a, it's like a 101 course. In college, you know, the 101 course is like it's a it's a shallow uh, pass over a subject to give you a general idea of a subject. You're like a bird watching 101. You get the basics of what bird watching is. You learn how to use binoculars, whatever. I'm sure that class actually actually exists. But these books were kind of like that. So there was a Bukowski for beginners and you just it gives you the basic idea of who Bukowski was some of the things he wrote about, names of some of his books. There was one that was uh, Nietzsche for beginners, or if you want to say his name correctly, Nietzsche. Although every time you say Nietzsche, people look at you like you're crazy because they don't know what Nietzsche is, but they know what Nietzsche is. It's one of those fun things like, uh, you know, a little piercing people put in their little, uh, under their lip there. Everybody calls it Lebray piercing. The word's actually Lebrette. <laughs> But if you say Lebret piercing, you pronounce it properly in French, people look at you like you're crazy. They want you to do the fake affectation of French and call it a Lebret. But uh, anyways, tangent. What's cool about these books, what was cool about these books, I'll talk about them in past tense because they may not exist anymore. It wasn't only this brief kind of synopsis of a topic or a person, but they always got really interesting artists to do drawings inside. And they tended towards more of a illustrator slash almost, almost indie comic book look. And that made it really appealing because not only you're getting this information about a topic you're interested in, it's always good to have an overview. I always like those overview, overview books because you can take it and go off on it, go off on the branches, like if it's a tree, to go off from the trunk to the branches and learn everything you can by using that as like a basis. 
you know, here's the Bukowski for beginners. Well, if it mentions seven books, you can go read those seven books. And now you know a lot about Bukowski and it all came from this one type of book. But on top of that, you got these really cool illustrations. And one of those books, I, I had actually forgot that this book was one of those books because Bukowski and Nietzsche are the two books in that series that I own that I remembered were of that series. But I had World Cinema for Beginners, I think is the name of it. I probably should have had it in front of me if I was going to mention it, but I didn't know I was going to mention it. And I had forgot that that was one of those books because typically those four beginner books were focused on people. A lot of philosophers and writers, mostly from what I remember. I didn't remember that this one was because this is just a subject. But this book was huge for me. It was huge for me because I guess maybe we have to go back in a little, go back in time a little bit here. When I was a student, I I don't know what kind of student I was. I wasn't a good student in the sense that uh, I had a really, I still do have a very good memory. And because of that, I didn't put a lot of work into school because I could remember things and I could get away with minimum effort and still get a an A or a B, or by the time I got to some of the harder classes in high school, sometimes a C, just based off of what I remember from kind of paying attention in class. And because of that, I wouldn't say that I was a good student. But I did have, now looking back, I had the right mindset. If I had had the the grit and the the discipline to be a good student paired with the way that I looked at school, things could have been very different for me in the academic sense. Because the part of me that was very good for being a student was the part that was very curious about things that I didn't know. And I'm still like this. But I remember specifically in school taking classes that people would look at me like, why why are you taking that class? And it was always because it was different. It was something I didn't know. For for instance, I I took three years of French just because I didn't know anybody that spoke French. Even though I live in California, it was probably more practical to take Spanish. I took three years of French. And then for the fourth year, I decided, you know what, let's uh, move on from French and let's take one year of Spanish, just because. I took Literature of the Counterculture. In college, I took a class called The Oral Interpretation of Literature, which, which was a mix between an acting class and a literature class. You had to take literature and interpret it in class, acting. And uh, one of the main classes that I took in high school that most people my age weren't taking was history, African-American history. It was a new class. Like there was, there was only one, one class of it. This was back in uh, 1993, 94, somewhere in there. Not as common as it is now to get a class like that. But I took it back then because, hey, I didn't know anything about it. I wanted to know something about it. And then when I was in college, I took a class called Asian Cinema. And it was all about cinema from Asia. We watched movies from Japan. We watched movies from China. We watched movies from Vietnam, movies from Korea. And I don't remember if this book on world cinema came before that class or came after I'm going to think, I'm going to, I'm going to say that it came after, but either way, that class mixed with that book 
it kind of snapped me. There's a, there's a certain mold, you know, when I was talking earlier about there's certain roles that we get into. One of the roles that we can get into that I can get into is being American, you know, watching the stuff that everybody else is watching and really only thinking about things coming out of Hollywood and forgetting about all of the stuff being made everywhere around the world. And between that, that Asian film class and this book on world cinema, I watched a lot of movies that I would never even have heard of and never had never seen. And I exposed myself to a different form of filmmaking. Now, I don't want to group the whole world. <laughs> I don't want to make two groups here, America and the rest of the world. But to some degree, this is true. Now, when I say Hollywood, first of all, when I, when I reference Hollywood, I'm not including a lot of the really independent films. Because that's not Hollywood, right? They're not making them in Hollywood. I'm talking about Hollywood. You know, the, the movies that get advertised on TV, the movies that get posters, the movies that get nominated for Oscars, which they're not bad. I mean, I love a comic book movie just as anybody else. I just, in two days, burned through all of WandaVision. But there is a, there's a role that I slip into where I forget about all this other stuff that I actually like. You know, there's a lot of people that talk about foreign films and they're just being pretentious. And you can tell by the, the films that they choose to talk about. I actually enjoy foreign cinema. I actually enjoy foreign cinema more than American cinema. And I think part of that is because I'm not a part of the culture that you know, whichever culture I happen to be watching a movie from, I'm not a part of that culture. So I don't go into the movies with the baggage that somebody from that culture might be bringing in. For example, when I watch American movies, I'm bringing American baggage in there. You know, if you're watching a movie and you realize, oh, here's another movie about the poor black kid who gets saved by the white people. You know, you're like, oh, this is, this is American baggage, right? Because we know that that's something that happens in our culture over and over again. Or you watch a movie and you go, oh, this is just basically a cover for colonialism. These, these are baggage that we bring in with our own culture. But when I'm watching something from Asia, we'll say specifically from China, I don't know a ton about Chinese culture. I know a little bit, but I don't know as much as somebody who lives in China knows, that's for sure. So there are things that happen in the movies that I maybe I don't get. But because of that, the story and the heart and the humanity of their cinema, at least the cinema that comes over here that I have access to, that's what I latch on to because I can't latch on to the other stuff because I don't know it exists. So because of that, I have a special place in my heart for non-American cinema because it feels so real. Don't get me wrong, they have crappy films too. They have blockbuster films. Look at Japan. Japan has some wonderful, wonderful film, like uh, Akiru, which is this beautiful movie about life and aging. But they also are the country that made Godzilla, right? Which is like the ultimate like blockbuster B movie. I, actually, I wouldn't even say it's a B movie. Like if you actually watch the original Godzilla, it's like a D grade movie. So don't don't get me wrong, I'm not putting other cultures on a pedestal and saying, oh, they do everything better than we do. But what I'm saying is that the movies that I see 
from these other cultures. The ones that I choose to watch, they're different. And then they might not actually be that different from American cinema, but they're different from me because I'm not part of those cultures. And I also, on top of that, I noticed the artistry. Once again, it's one of the things that I can latch on to in these. And going back to what I was saying earlier about playing a role and forgetting things about myself. I get into this mode where, especially in the last few years, I've gotten very much into this place where TV shows have become a central part of my entertainment. And I don't mean my whole day. I just mean that if there's one thing that I do every day, it's I watch a couple hours of TV before I go to bed. It's the central part, or not a central part, but it isn't, it is a, an absolute part of my day. It feels weird if I don't watch a little TV. You might be, might be similar. It's a very common thing, especially now with streaming and everybody being home all the time. We're watching a lot of TV. And when you watch a lot of TV, you want to watch through the shows. And then when you watch the shows, you see another one you want to watch. So you got like this, this never ending queue of TV shows. And they're not even maybe TV shows that you're like, I'm going to love that. Sometimes it might just be like, I wanted to see that. Or it might just be like, yeah, this is a gas. I watch a lot of shows that um, that people probably have no interest in anymore because I have a distinct memory of them. Fantasy Island, just a TV show from the 80s. I remember it from when I was a kid. I don't remember actually the show itself. You know, I don't remember episodes. I was very young, but I remember Ricardo Montalban and I remember... Hervé Villachez. And I remember the plane, the plane, you know, like I remember the beginning of the show. But it's like this indistinct memory. So when I'm flipping through and I see, hey, Fantasy Island's on here, I might sit down and watch a couple episodes. Not because I'm thinking it's going to be great, but because it's it's tickling some it's tickling some part of my brain that's been asleep. I have this theory about memory, and that if you can Actually, it's not far from what I was saying earlier about the the mandolin. You know, if you can eat that cookie with that tea, that it might wake something up. Well, I've always been curious if I could watch these shows that I sort of have a a hint of remembering if something else would wake up. And I don't mean like remember episodes of the show. I mean, maybe it'll wake up a memory of life from that time. Maybe I will remember what it was like to be six years old sitting on the carpet, watching the show. So I end up watching a lot of shows like that. So I have this never-ending queue of shows, like we all do, that when we actually sit down and examine (laughs) what we're watching, it's really nothing that's going to do much for our life, even our emotional life, other than, you know, give us some sort of comfort. Like it's, it's like eating potato chips, eating mashed potatoes. Just gives you this feeling of comfort. But it doesn't actually provide anything beyond that. We're not we're not learning life lessons, right? We're not we're not confronting the the racist past of our ancestors watching these shows. Even the shows that pretend to be deep, which there are a lot. There that's that's one of the things that being a part of American culture that I can see in our films and our television shows is there's this feigned depth. There's a certain way to go about things that make it seem like you're being very deep with what you're doing, 
But when you really examine what's being done, what the story that's being told is, it's actually quite shallow, that it doesn't actually go into depth, that it doesn't really answer the questions, that it uses music to make you feel sad instead of scripting something to make you feel sad. That's very, very common. I see it all the time and I fall for it. I fall for it. And then like an hour, a day later, I'm thinking about it and I'm going, that was uh, Smoke and Mirrors, wasn't it? I see that a lot with movies that get nominated for Oscars. Like, oh, this movie is so wonderful. And you watch it, you're like, oh, yeah, that was entertaining. You know, you were you were entertained. So you you felt like it was like a deep movie. But then when you actually sit and like talk about it or you think about it and you go, actually, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. <laughs> or actually, that sucks. What's What's funny about that, too, is sometimes you can watch a movie that's kind of trashy and cheap. But you keep thinking about it, you keep thinking about it, and you realize, oh, there was actually some depth there that I didn't give a credit for. So I have this role of watching this television, these television shows. Like, it matters, right? You know, like, I, I can think of a specific time in television past. This is when people started throwing around the golden age of television phrase. I think this technically started a little bit before Breaking Bad. But there were a series of shows that everybody was watching. A series, certain series of shows that you had to, had to be watching. This was before Game of Thrones. We had uh, Mad Men, Sons of Anarchy, Walking Dead, and Lost. Those are like four that come to mind right now. I've never seen any of them. I've never seen any of them because at the time that those were all going on, I didn't have you know, whatever channels they were on. AMC, I think some, at least one of them was on AMC. Maybe they all were. I didn't have that. So I didn't see it. So the moment streaming became a thing, those things went into my queue. I'll finally be able to see that and see what everybody was talking about. But here's the funny thing about that. The more time goes by from, from the present when everybody's watching something, the less those things matter, Right. Is it really the time to watch uh, Sons of Anarchy? Because everybody's not watching that right now. What everybody's watching is Game of Thrones right now. So if you really want to be part of that conversation, it's a little late for Sons of Anarchy. So you can you can just skip over to Game of Thrones. And then the more time that goes from that, and the further you get away from that, the airing of that show, the less important it becomes. And the more that happens, when the more shows that that happens for, the more you start to realize how little they really matter. And that's the role. It's the role that you're supposed to consume these things. Or not, I'm not saying that this is a societal thing, because there is a certain degree to which society puts that forth, but I'm saying that this is coming from internally. This is something that we are telling ourselves that you need to watch this. You know, it's a pack mentality that rises up inside of us. We want to feel a part of something. But I'm watching these shows for the past few years, watching things and realizing more and more how the ones that aren't supposed to satisfy me are satisfying me. You know, like watching old episodes of Fantasy Island or Rizzolian Isles. These shows that aren't really supposed to be great shows, but they they give me more on a level of humanity 
or more like with fantasy item, more on the level of getting in touch with parts of my memory than these other shows do that I feel that I need to be watching, like Westworld. I watched like four episodes and I got bored. So what what I think I'm getting at here is I forgot how much I enjoy foreign films. And with streaming, I have so many that are available to me at all times. But there's this weird this weird barrier, and I think it's part of that role-playing as well, where you can find that movie and you can put it into your queue. And then every time you sit down to watch something, you go to click on it and you resist it. Eh, not now. No, I'm not in the mood for depth right now. That's literally a thought I've had at times. I'm not in the mood for depth right now. Or mm, I kind of want to be doing something while I'm watching TV. So I can't read subtitles right now. So not today. And what happens, the more that I put that off, the more that I put off it, the more that I forget how much watching foreign films, how much they bring into my life and how even on a deeper level beyond that, how doing that thing, how exploring that part of myself brings more of me to the surface. And that the more I play the roles or the more that I get caught up in the do the easy thing, the not not doing depth tonight thing, the more that I the more that I myself become a role, the more that I lose touch with myself. And I think to some degree you could put social media as a contributing factor in these things because once all of us got used to being online and sharing things online, this is a we, you know, there's a period of time we're all sharing what movies we're watching or what book we're reading, all of these things we were doing all the time, what meal we're eating. This was like five years ago, the peak of that. That that becomes a performance too, right? You don't realize it, but you're in that, you're, you're stepping into that role too. That's why, that can be one of the reasons why you want to watch that show. Because that's the show that everybody else is watching, you know, like that's where you're going to get your tribe credentials. But because I don't actually ever look at social media anymore, I have lost that one extra little brick. So I'm not going to put everything on the mantle of social media. I think it's actually just a small brick in this pile, this pile of bigger rocks that I have to deal with. And at the same time, just taking away that little rock, that little brick it just moves you one step closer to realizing something, to coming to a truth on something. I watched a, there's a two-part documentary. I think it's like 10 or 15 years old on Woody Allen. And I know Woody Allen's not a very popular guy, but his movies were very important for me. I discovered Woody Allen about the same time that I discovered foreign cinema. And it was just different. It, it opened me to a world that I didn't know existed. I just thought that this surface world, the one that I've been talking about, the one where everybody's watching the same things, I thought that was the only one that existed. So I watch a movie like Annie Hall, and yes, obviously I was interested in watching a movie that shares my last name. <laughs> Actually, a um, little detour here, something interesting that came out of the documentary. I found out why the movie's called Annie Hall. Well, Diane Keaton actress who plays that who plays Annie Hall her real name is not Diane Keaton her real name is Diane Hall so if you take 
the D off of Diane, what do you get? Anne or Annie Hall. So technically, the movie is named after her. And yes, it's possible. It is possible we might be related. But uh, I'm watching this documentary on Woody Allen, and it's reminding me of this group of things that I find interesting. These group of things that I don't want to say I forgot about, but these group of things that I've neglected. And I don't know how to, I've been thinking about this for a really long time on how to put this, but it's, it's almost like there's this group of things that I have an interest in that don't belong to someone of my age. And I don't, I don't even want to go through all of it, but foreign films is in there. Woody Allen films are in there. Architecture is in there. Black and white photography is in there. Frank Lloyd Wright, Ansel Adams. It's almost like, <laughs> I, I honestly, I think some of this came from watching Woody Allen films. That some of my taste came from characters in Woody Allen films. This certain New York intellectual that somehow I, without even realizing I was doing it, I had latched onto it and I grew interest in those things. But I never cultivated the interest in those things. This is where I'm really going with all this. I had neglected these things. I had forgot about these things. They'd pop up every once in a while, you know, like I'd be watching a show about uh, about houses or something like that. And I'd start to ask myself, like, why am I watching a show about tiny houses? Why am I so fascinated with tiny houses? Oh, because I forgot that I have a love for architecture. Why am I filming in black and white? Oh, because I forgot. Number one, I like black and white photography a lot. And number two, I like foreign films. And a lot of foreign films are in black and white. Or why am I trying to do all of my Instagram photos when I was doing Instagram? Why am I doing it in black and white? Same thing. I forget about, you know, I go one, one step back to remember why I was doing something, but I wouldn't go back to the actual starting point. So all of these things that have been neglected, all these things that are so much a part of who I am, but have just been like, they've been on the back burner. You know, they've just been simmering. They never had the chance to be cultivated. All of those things with with just doing less in general. I don't even want to go into all the steps of just doing less and having more pockets of time in my day. All of these things are starting to bubble up again. So I watch a documentary about Woody Allen. Oh, that reminds me of this. And that reminds me of this. And then I watch this movie and this reminds me of this. And then I'm looking at a book about uh, architecture and it reminds me of this. I feel like this week more than anything, those things have really started to bubble up. And I've really just started to feel them, not as these indistinct memories, these things left on the back burner simmering, but as parts of myself, that they're actually active, becoming active parts of myself. You know, you think of something, how about the Tin Man from The Wizard of Oz? Rusted, he's frozen there. You start to oil his joints and, and he starts to move again. That's how these parts are feeling. They're starting to move again. It's really changing a lot of things. I don't even know in what way that it's changing things. It's not some grand life-changing thing, but it's, I'm starting to feel more fulfilled. I'm starting to feel more fulfilled just by being in touch with more parts of who I am. It's a weird thing to say, but it's, I think that's also what's playing into my journaling. That these these hour-long sessions that I'm doing every day of free writing, that's a place where these things are bubbling up sometimes. 
And what I've been doing is I've been trying to actually share more of these on the on the blog. Sometimes I'll share my whole journal from the day. Sometimes just a piece. That's where they're starting to bubble up because I think I said it in last week's episode that that's a place where things collide. But I also think that's where these things like the the poetry that came out of my head that one day or ideas for the novel that are popping into my head. All of this is coming from the parts being in contact because the the brain is like it's, it's circuitry. And I feel like especially the, the creative circuitry of the brain, it needs everything else to be pumping and healthy for it to really get the most out of it. We can think of the creativity of the mind like roots running through dirt. Yeah, the, the roots aren't going to die if there are still parts that, you know, that have fertile soil. But the roots and the tree that's attached to those roots is going to be healthier and thrive more. The more of the dirt that it's in, the more of it that's, that's vital or the more of it that's nutrient-rich earth. So sure, you could, you could live off of 20%. You know, the tree can survive. But if you get 90% of the dirt that it's in is healthy dirt, that's going to be a healthier tree than the one that's only living off 20%. So the more these parts of my brain connect and the more that these things come online and the more that I start to remember all of the pieces that make up who I am, the more those vines, not those vines, those roots, the more healthy they become, the more you know they pulsate, the more energy that's running through them. One of the things that's strange is that it, it's been happening lately is I have this this thing that I bought. I probably bought it, I want to say like six years ago, maybe even longer than that. And I thought it was this really good idea at the time. And I used it for a little while at first, but mostly I think I just used it to like remember to do things. It's this thing called Aquanotes. <laughs> and essentially what Aquanotes is, it's a it's a little pad of paper. It's like a three by five pad of paper that's waterproof. The paper is actually waterproof and it has a suction cup on it. So you take that, ta- that pad of paper and you stick it on the wall of the shower. And then there's a pencil. And this pencil also happens to be, uh, it has a certain kind of lead in the pencil that works when it's wet. And obviously the, the wood's treated so that, you know, nothing happens to the wood from being wet. And that has just a little, little tiny suction cup. So you can stick the pencil on the tile right next to the pad. So that when you're in the shower and you remember something, you just scribble it out. I think the last three or four days, I'm in the shower and I find myself writing something and I fill up a whole page of the pad every time I go in the shower. And it's not thoughts about the same thing every time. It's just all of a sudden something comes to me. And it's been so long since I had thoughts in the shower. You know, obviously I bought this thing, I said, like I said, six or more years ago. It's still the same pad. It's not a huge pad of paper. So I could tell you how infrequently I'd used it in the intervening years. And now all of a sudden here I am, I'm going through like four pages in like four days. I think there's only like five, six more pages left. I'm already looking to order another one. And I think that's a sign of these these roots thriving, these roots coming to life. So I'm just trying to lean into those things more. And I don't I don't mean that you're gonna see it necessarily anywhere. This is stuff that I'm doing just just for me. And I was looking looking earlier because unfortunately streaming is in a in a 
situation right now that I'm going and I'm looking to watch movies. I'm pulling movies from this World Cinema for Beginners book, and I'm typing them in. And, oh, it's available on this service. Well, shit, I don't have that service. It's available on this one. Well, I don't have that one. And it seems like now that if you want to be able to watch things without buying them, you need to be paying like $200 a month, which is the whole reason all of us ditched cable for streaming, because we were paying $200 a month for stuff that we weren't watching. That's tangent. I'm tangent prone today. I think what it is is we're just getting to the end of what I'm saying. I'm just really, I'm digging in into these little interests. And I'm not even, some of these things, I'm not even sure how to explore. And like my love of architecture, I'm not sure what to do with that. For years, I've been getting uh, Dwell, which is an architecture magazine sent to my house. That's one way that I've engaged it. I've bought a couple books on architecture, but there's really something else I need. And surprisingly, if you go and you search, you know, like movies on architecture, documentaries on architecture, not a lot comes up. Because what you get instead is like home renovation or interior design, stuff that's not architecture, but it's peripheral to architecture. So it, all of those search results cover up the stuff that's actually on architecture. So I've been thinking like, maybe, maybe I can find a way to take some online classes or something like that. Anyways, I think uh, part, of, part of the reason I had to explain all that is because it's going to explain a little bit about a slight addition I'm going to make to the recommendations that I do at the end of every episode. I've been doing the album recommendations, but as I go, as I went through this week, I realized that there, there's more that I want to share. And it's not going to be every week like the albums. I'm going to I'm trying to to do the albums every week, and I actually I have a I made a list of a, a bunch of the albums that I really love that I want to share. The week before I share it, I listen, I re-listen to the album so that it's something that I'm experiencing and not just, you know, like sharing passively. But the other things I want to recommend are going to be dependent on whether I have, uh, whether I've, for example, I'm going to share books and movies. And it's going to depend on whether I read a book that's worth mentioning during the week and whether I watched a movie that's worth sharing during the week. I'm not going to make lists for those as well. The more lists of stuff like that that I start to do, the more it starts to stack up and the more I just go, screw it all, you know, because it becomes too much. This week, you happen to be very lucky because I have an album, I have a movie, and I have a book. It's been a very good week. So let's let's start where we normally start. Let's start with the album. The album I'm going to recommend this week is Lament by Ultravox. Ultravox is a super cool band that nobody knows about. And this album is deceptive. It's deceptive because there's a certain, this is an album from 1984, and there's a certain sound that would later become pretty pretty stereotypical 80s sound. There's a certain rhythm and a certain drum beat that when you hear it, you're like, oh, this is an 80s song. But they, they, they were doing this before it became that. So what later became these candified versions of this sound that have no depth originated with bands like Ultravox who were doing this. And like, for example, my favorite song on this album is a a song called Dancing with Tears in Your Eyes. If you listen to a song and you don't pay attention, it sounds like a a saccharine 80s dancey love song. You know, you could see people dressed sort of like Madonna dancing to this 
song. But that's where the the deceptive depth of this comes in, because the song is actually about facing nuclear holocaust, that you know that the bomb's coming, and this is your last day. And actually, I don't do this very often, but because this album is so easy to misread, I have some of the lyrics here. I'm going to read you some of the lyrics. I'm not going to read you the chorus, but these are two of the verses. It's five, and I'm driving home again. It's hard to believe that it's my last time. The man on the wireless cries again. It's over. It's over. And then the second verse. It's late, and I'm with my love alone. We drink to forget the coming storm. We love to the sound of our favorite song over and over. It's a very sad song, but it sounds, it doesn't sound sad. So when you listen to that album, pay attention to what's going on. Especially, I would say, pay attention to the first three songs, because those are, those are my particular favorites on that album. I'm probably forgetting another one later in the album, but those three, White China, I can't remember what the second song is called. I think it's uh, One Small Day, and then Dancing with Tears in My Eyes. Actually, One Small Day is the second song. And if you pay attention to that song, you will hear a sound that later become, became the U2 sound. So check out Lament by uh, Ultravox. And once again, there's a link in the episode description where I'm doing a continuous playlist where every time I recommend an album, I'm throwing it in that playlist. Now, the book that I'm going to recommend this week, uh, the book is called Piranesi or Piranesi by Susanna Clark. I don't I don't even know if I want to tell you anything about this book. It's a surreal mystery. Let's put it that way. There's a mystery that may or may not unravel hidden among what might be completely surrealistic imagery. I don't know if that makes you want to read it or makes you want to hide from it, but it's it's a fantastic book. I read that this week. And then lastly, a movie. It's a foreign film. I talked about foreign films in this. This is a foreign film. And actually, I just finished watching this about an hour ago. And uh, if if there's any difference in my tone tonight or the way that uh, my thoughts are flowing, it's because this movie kind of <laughs> knocked me on my ass. And I had to, uh, I had to recover in time to, in time to record this. And when I also, when I, when I recommend movies, I'm going to tell you the year that they were made in the director because titles of movies being used over and over again is so common. I would hate for you to watch the wrong movie, especially sometimes like there's, there's these movies, especially with foreign movies, there's a movie where the translation of the title is also the translate is also the title of an American movie that sucks. <laughs> so, so you, if you watch the wrong one, I'm telling you to go watch this foreign film with this title and it's this beautiful, amazing movie. And you might accidentally go watch the American one and like, what the hell is this? So the movie I'm recommending is from 2008. It's called Departures. This is a Japanese film and not great on my Japanese pronunciation, but uh, Yojiro Takita. I think that's how you say his name. I hope that's how you say his name. This movie, it honestly threw me for a loop. Like I said, I had to recover before 
this movie is about a man that uh, wants to be a cellist, wants to play the cello, and things don't go so well. So he ends up applying for a job, and it turns out the job is it's being a sort of a, a mortician's assistant. Although in Japan, the way that that works is different. I don't know if you know this, but uh, in Japan, every, because it's such a small place, they don't have a lot of land. Everybody's cremated. So that on top of, I guess, uh, some cultural reasons, I'm guessing at some of this stuff. This is not, I'm not an expert on this stuff. But they, the families used to, like in America and everywhere else, I assume, families used to prepare the bodies for burial. Well, in modern Japan, now people do that, just like here. But they don't, at least in the places that this movie takes place, at the time that this takes place, they don't take the bodies to, they don't take it to a funeral home like we do here. They prepare the body in the home in front of the family. Now, part of the reason that it can be different is they are not doing autopsies. You know, they're not doing all of the, they're not cutting into the body. So what this, what these people are actually doing is they're actually going to the family's house and they're preparing the body. They're washing it and they're, honestly, they're working out some of the rigor mortis so that they can put the body into a, a position, a, a certain position for burial. And because it's being done in front of the family, they have to do this all under a sheet, kind of. Not kind of. They have to do it all under a sheet. So there's a certain, I don't want to say showmanship to it, but there's a certain finesse to doing it. And that, that's what this guy ends up like applying for a job to do this. And it's funny at sometimes. It's heartbreaking at sometimes. Obviously, being what it's about. It it has a lot to say about living and death. And uh, I'm going to go back to what I said earlier about foreign films. If you watch this, I want you to pay attention to one thing. Pay attention to, at least as far as we know, as not being from Japanese culture, pay attention to how lacking in cliche it is and how it leans into the humanity of every situation. That things don't, I guess the way I would say that is when, when people, for example, the, the, when people argue, it doesn't go the way that it would in a quote-unquote stereotypical movie. It just goes the way, the, the way it does with the characters. It's you know, just like in real life. Every argument you have doesn't go the same way. So, please, if, if any of the three things I recommend this week... If you only have time to do one, give yourself two hours and ten minutes to go watch Departures. You can watch it for free. I watched it on uh, Tubi, T-U-B-I, Tubi TV. I watched it for free. You're going to watch some commercials, but it's free. So you can stream that for free. And I'm running out of steam. So I will see you guys next week. And I'm, I'm glad to see that there's more of you listening. I guess that means my rambling is not as embarrassing as I feared it is at times. Bye-bye. This is the podcast version of It Matters But It Doesn't. You can also read my blog at itmattersbutitdoesn't.com. And if you'd like to support this podcast because you find some sort of value in it, then you can find a link in the description of each episode. Thanks for listening. 
and I'll see you when I see you.